1: We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to today's History Hack. Today's History Hack promises to be very, very interesting. I have Kit with me. Kit, this is going to be good.
3: This is going to be very good. It's about one of the great cities of Europe. Our guest today uh, is Victor Sebastian, who specialises in the history of Russia, communism and Lenin and Eastern Europe. His books include 12 Days, the Story of the 1956 Hungarian Revolution, Revolution 1989, the Fall of the Soviet Empire, and 1946, The Making of the Modern World. Also, of course, Lenin, The Man, The Dictator, and The Master of Terror. But he's here today to talk about his new book, which is a history of the city of Budapest.
4: Thanks well, thanks welcome. very much for asking me. I'm really looking forward to it.
2: This is, I, I guess the first question we have to ask hmm. is, why Budapest?
4: Well, it was the city of my birth, um, though... Um, I, I left it with my family as a refugee in 1956, which was of course the subject of, 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 of my first book. And when the Hungarians were trying to free themselves from the Soviet, Soviet domination that had happened since the Second World War, my family left um, in a hurry to um, escape as, as, as fast as, and urgently as they could. From Russian tanks. So that's and then I went back repeatedly from about the mid-1970s onwards when I was a journalist covering Eastern Europe and Russia. And um and it's and I've written about it constantly, and I just thought I love Budapest, although I love its beauty and its charm, but I can also understand its um, darker, more cruel side, and um, I just thought it would be a fascinating subject. And Budapest is again quite relevant, um, and and talked about for a country that's so small with only nine and a half million people. It sort of punches above its weight quite a bit, and it has quite a lot of Im- quite a lot of of um, quite a lot of influence in 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 the world for good or and ill. Well, let's
3: start right at the beginning. So obviously Budapest is the capital of Hungary, for those who don't know. It's on the Danube. We've got the Buddha side and the pest side. Um, but what is the, the earliest evidence of the site of modern-day Budapest? Who settles there, and why is it such a perfect place to
4: build a settlement?: Well, there was a well, it's on the confluence of a huge river. It's in a, it's in a vast, a vast um, European plain. It's um, basically everyone who's everyone who went east from everyone who went west from the east, as all those tribes did in the great the period known as the Great Migrations. They looked at that area and saw that it was good. Um, the first settlements we know of were, were Celtic, um, from about eight hundred. Eight hundred, a thousand BC, um, it has fantastic thermal springs, great water, and in fact, Budapest is still a spa city, and it was a spa city three thousand years ago. Um, the first big settlement, of course, was the Romans. The Romans occupied it. It was basically the northern perimeter that the that the the northern and west um, perimeter that they um, that they possessed from um, all what the, the so-called barbarian tribes. So it was actually quite important to it. They built they built a string of fortresses across the Danube there to protect um, to protect its the northern part of its empire. And they were they were significant towns um, for a while and had quite a lot of influence. Um, one of the main, one of the principal governors who, who built what must have been an extraordinary governor's palace there, um, although very little of it remains. A, a Soviet-era shipyard um, was built over it, um, as happened. Uh, the, the, that was Hadrian, um, who subsequently, came, uh, the, the the emperor we, all, we we all knew, five emperors, five future emperors, had been gov- governors of the province, that Hungarian province called Pannonia, and so it was quite a significant town. It grew into a town of, of forty thousand, which uh, around two hundred A.D., um, which is which was significant by Ro- even by Roman sta- standards, um, and indeed, that many people wouldn't live on what the on what the the city of Budapest came for another. Fifteen hundred years after that, maybe sixteen hundred years after that. So it was a significant, it was a significant sign and significantly important. Another great character who it was important in Roman um, Hungary was Marcus Aurelius, who many people might have heard of as an emperor, and um, wrote one of the most one of the greatest works of philosophy. A lot of it was written around. Um a quincum, which was the which was the the Roman town because of the water.
2: I think because it's as you said, like at this crossroads of east and west, everyone has to pass through it to get from one to the other. Yeah. That kind of <laughs> Target on it throughout history, doesn't it? In terms of when people ch- try and expand, um, there lies Budapest in the way. Let's I want to make sure I'm, I'm conscious of I don't want to tell everyone the whole contents of the book so they don't need to go and buy it. So let's skip. You don't forward want to it, do we? No, no. Well, let's leave let's leave a few hundred years uh in behind us now, um, so that they do have to go and buy the book. But let's talk about when the Turks arrive. So we're talking about the Ottoman Empire expansion. What does life look like in Budapest under Turkish rule?
4: Budapest, to get your point about how it was on everyone's, um, everyone's map, Budapest has been built and destroyed six times, um, just to get into context. But the, the Turks um, came in the, 16th century, in the 16th century. Their ambition was the conquest of Europe the Islamic conquest of, of, of Europe and they got to the gates of Vienna um, and that's as far as they got so Hungary was basically the, the end of their um, western border in the, in their um, uh, attempted occupation of, 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 of Europe so again it was quite an, it was an, an important border area the Turks occupied for 150 years. It wasn't just a um, fly-by-night visit. Um, and they kept repeatedly, three more times, they, they tried to get further, further west, they kept failing. They kept being pushed back, only as far as Budapest, <clears throat> um, or only as far as Hungary. There was no, uh, and Buddha, they built, um, they built, built a huge, a, you know, they, turned, they turned what was a kind of quite small town, um, although it was a royal, a royal town under the Hungarian kings, into a, a huge fortress town, very, very difficult to to, um, to besiege, as indeed um, didn't happen for a century and a half. It's very, very small, and uh, uh, apart from um, apart from the soldiers and the, the the fort and the defenders, it's a very, very small town. Um, and almost everyone who was German or Hungarian or Magyar, whatever, left. Uh, so, two, maybe three thousand people, uh, civilians at the most, apart from the janissaries and the and the, and the, and the defenders. Virtually, very, very little is left of um, very little is left of, of Turkish um, occupation. There are a couple of monuments. <clears throat> they turned the churches into into mosques. The main things that were left, and they're of enduring, and they are the one and they are wonderful, and they were w- still one of the great things about Budapest, why people should go and enjoy, is bathhouses. So they're fantastic spas, wonderful Oriental, beautiful. And six of they built about twenty altogether, as we know. Six of them are still there, functioning and functioning. Pretty much as they must have, as they must have done um, in the, um, in this sixteenth and seventeenth centuries, and some of them really are magnificent and lots of them. The other thing that as of enduring um, importance for Hungary, because Hungary is a place of coffee houses, and they were the first people who bought coffee into um, into Eastern Europe, which was again an, an enduring and rather, and rather wonderful thing. So we do owe them, we do owe the, the Turkish occupation some rather brilliant thing. And when you think about it, that is greater than some other, that is better than some of the other occupying, the legacy of the other occupying countries. Let's say the Nazis or the communists, what did they leave? Did they leave anything like a bar fast? No. Um, so we owe them, we owe them quite a lot
2: and my daily caffeine fix I am most grateful for.
4: Me too. I never start the day without sending those Turks.
3: But it's uh, it's no spoiler to say it does fall back into Christian control, and if you've gone to Budapest, you can go to the cathedral, and they've got St. Stephen's arm in there as a holy relic. You can go to Buda Castle, and there are fantastic mosaics of the Christians defeating the Turks in the castle. So how does the city end up back in Christian
4: control? Well, the Habsburgs um, and there were there were repeated um, attempts at you know so-called crusades to to try and um, turn back the turn back the Ottoman the turn back the Ottoman advance, and they tried repeatedly. They couldn't get it together enough until the Habsburgs. Them, and the Holy Roman Empires. I don't want to go into the whole of Habsburg history, but they were basically... we <laughs> were be there all the day, won't right, we? Really. They were... We'd be here all week. Um, they were the... They were the um, it coincided to, and this is a kind of important point, it coincided to with the Reformation in Europe and the Counter-Reformation. The Habsburgs was the Catholic force, um, not, um, not entirely the Protestant force, um, which is an important point in, in in all of this. So they were tried repeatedly. They finally got it together in the middle from the latter part of the um, 17th century. And a huge force went to besiege um, Budapest in the 1680s. And they finally, after a, after a very, very long siege and an absolutely bitter bitter struggle in which um, uh, the, it's very hard to get accurate figures of death, and it doesn't really matter because the numbers involved. But again, the city was Buddha, as it was um, then, was was to, to, almost totally destroyed. There was hardly anything left of the palace, hardly anything left of the town. But um, Christianity was was reimposed in. In, in Budapest, or in Buda anyway, and in most of, most of Hungary, which then was a much, much we'll get on to this later much more much bigger and more significant place than it is now. And then they, and then they liberated. Um, the army went on to try and it took, uh, it took hundreds of years the process of driving the Ottoman Empire back. Mm. Took along a you know a significant um, a significant period throughout the throughout the 17th 18th centuries. So that this was the this was the beginning of the fight back by the Catholic forces against um, against the Ottoman against the Ottoman Empire. So let's
3: move into the Baroque period now because we start seeing this city growth. We've got reoccupation. And it's got a very distinctive architectural style in Budapest. So where does that come from? Where do we get that from?
4: Well, that is that most of what the, the, the uh, this comes from this, the Budapest was two towns. It, it, I want to get this across. Budapest didn't actually become one town until the 1870s. Um, we think of Buda, you know, Budapest. That's that's quite late, really. Um, and it didn't have a bridge. Um, across until the eighteen, the mid eighteen forties, and it was really hard to cross at that point. Um, at that point, the the Danube was much faster flowing than it is now. There are a whole peri- um, whole system of dams and and dikes and things um, further upstream that that, that, that of that one, and environmental, broader environmental factors. So. It was two very very separate towns. The, the the Buddha, which is higher up on you know on, on a hill with the palace, which was the old, um, imp- the old royal palace, the old royal town, was almost entirely German. Everyone spoke German. Almost nobody spoke um, Magyar uh, Hungarian.
3: <clears throat>
4: Pest was kind of Start a small village under you know when the fight back and from the late seventeenth century, a very small town was growing and growing, and that was the more commercial. Even then, that was the more commercial bit. So, um, the real baroque, the baroque look of 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 what became Budapest was built mainly in the eighteenth century, and it is and it is very and it is a very typical baroque you know, Baroque down, stucco buildings, classical, um, classical. The church is unbelievably ornate. The main cathedral on the Buddha side, it's um my church temp, temp, uh, um, St. Matthew's Church. It's very beautiful in its way, but way over the top. I mean it's, uh, it's it it's 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 ought baroque. Um and um I rather like it, but then, you know, I rather like vulgarity sometimes. The thing about the other side, of Budapest side, which was growing, but, you know, it took a long while, mainly its growth was the 19th century. And that distinctive look, which is the later Habsburg look um, of Budapest, was built later than that, than the, the Baroque part. Which probably explains why it's so different. But speaking of,
3: uh, of vulgarity, we do have to touch on the Habsburgs, uh, who are the masters of Volga <laughs> um, yeah. Now they become sort of the, the the rulers, essentially in control of the city. But this isn't a peaceful process, is it? No,
4: it wasn't. And just as a piece of background to 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 um, to try and set it into context, um, at the, it, this wasn't just a fight back against um, against the the, the Turks um, for the for the ultra-Catholic Habsburgs, this was also the um, very important campaign in its front in the Counter-Reformation. It's, the Hungarians, um, that area, which of course is a much bigger area than, than is present-day Hungary, it included large parts of, of Romania, all of Croatia, northern Serbia, Slovakia. <clears throat> uh the um, m- about 70 to 75% of the people in that region uh were Protestants either lutherans or or, or calvinists so to the habsburgs this was all a part to recatholicize catholicize um uh, Hungary. uh so and it was a it was a large front in the habsburg Um, campaign uh, during the cancer reformation so just to get it into to
1: to, um. in a sudden flash it all comes clear it's a eureka moment an epiphany hi i'm marcus smith host of the constant wonder podcast the world offers marvel meaning and mystery around every single corner in nature art science culture history we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. To some context.
4: And it was incredibly bloody. They, they, it was a, it was, they killed and tortured thousands and thousands of, of people and took away the property. And it was the, And it was a process that began...
0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
4: The richer people, in order to, uh, the, the nobility, made a deal with the Habsburgs, that they would be allowed there to maintain their land and, their, and all their property if they became, if they became Catholics again Uh, and 90 percent of them agreed and it was this deal they'd made with the um with the Austrians a lot of the people had not made this deal they may have have um performed lip service and became and became Catholics but they'd never accepted um Austrian domination and there'd been a series of of rebel rebellions and open revolts, very famous ones that that did well for a little while, but ultimately the Austrians kept control of of of, of Hungary. Uh, so it was an incredibly bloody, bloody process. And as 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 Hungarian nationalism and the Hungarian aspirations grew, it became hard and harder and um, for the Austrians to 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 keep the to keep the Hungarians suppressed, and eventually there was a big rebellion as as eighteen forty eight, but it was a bloody pre- it was a long and bloody process, and and the the, the, the for for a lot of that period, the Magyars never really accepted um, Austria being a, being a, a colony of Austria. They resented it, and there were there were increasing numbers of, of, of open and sullen um, rebellions.
2: We do end up with the dual monarchy. Uh, and as a First World War historian, I want to jump forward to that now and point out that people like to talk a lot about how Austria is responsible for the First <laughs> World War because of the ultimation issued to Serbia. Uh, but what people never talk about is Hungarian role in the outbreak of the First World War. And for me, it's really important. And I think the key to understanding it is understanding the decentralization of authority and how much lip service Vienna has to pay to Budapest at this point. So do you want to unpack that a bit for us?
4: I do, Um, I will try. And um, Again, you have to go back a little bit because the rebellion I mentioned, um, the revolution of eighteen forty eight and the war of and the war of independence, that was the big the biggest rebellion against against um, against the Austrians. And they only suppressed it with the aid in of Russia. It would not have happened without without the Tsar um, Alexander the um, sorry Nicholas I intervention at the um and again, it was a repre- repression, but for 20 but the Austrians were on the Austrians were under extreme pressure they had to they had to fight wars in Italy, the men ultimately had to fight war, wars against Germany, uh, and they needed Hungary. A, a sullen and resentful Hungary wasn't going to help them so in order to keep hungarian aspiration, aspirations quiet, they cobbled together this deal in eighteen sixty seven a compromise which gave Hungary kind of equal status in the empire It was called instead of the Habsburg monarchy it was called the dual monarchy it gave it gave the it gave the Hungarians a lot of autonomy um, the, the Austrians still were richer, so they put in seventy percent of the of the, of the money, but they had only 50% control. Um, and when it came to later, the Hungarians played the key role in the stance of the, of the First World War. The Austrians might not have have gone to war without being pushed into it, significantly more so by the Hungarians, who their purpose was to um, there was increasing nationalist resentments amongst Slovaks, amongst, Trans- amongst Romanians, amongst Serbs, um, and the Hungarians thought, the, Hung- the Hungarians are a, na- a nation whose own their own nationalisms destroyed their nation significantly over over long periods of you know over long periods of history. And at this point this is where the this is where that process is unpicked um to be much more easily rec- recognized. They thought that it could beat off any any nationalist um aspirations in in, in the Balkans, that would strengthen their position. And they they were much, much more fervently in favour of war than the Austrians were.
2: Yeah, so the, any that, concession
4: at, at that, all the documents proved this absolutely clearly. Uh, the uh, the The Austrians might they were they were obviously in uh, you know in an alliance with the Germans, but but they might have 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 had the authority to 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 wait and see a little bit longer. But for the fervent um fervent aspirations of the of the Hungarians they were really wanting war
2: yeah i think the key is isn't it that that every concession austria might have made um in 1914 the magyars are there want, not wanting it because it dilutes, yeah. dilutes their influence and dilutes yeah, their authority
4: absolutely. Their and they were the, and they would they gave no they gave no rights i mean the thing the one of the one of the the first views everyone gets of of um, Budapest is that wonderful parliament building, beautiful in its way. So pictures and all the picture postcards and so every, every Instagram has someone in front of the um, the Parliament building. It's the biggest parliament building in the world for almost the least democracy of anywhere in um, well almost no democracy. they had nearly half the people in what was Hungary were not Magyars, were not Hungarian. And only 3% roughly of um, were represented in that were represented in that in that in that parliament. Um, they gave no they 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 gave no compromises at all with um, the the nationalism of, any, of every to the Hungarians nationalism, their nationalism was a fine and romantic thing. But they just yeah. didn't understand nationalism, any, uh, nationalism anywhere else. Key to them was keeping keeping their, these, these territories, keeping those people suppressed.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it, they're actually not only suppressing the nationalities, but there is a process called forced majorization, isn't there, where they're yeah, actively yeah. trying to make people into Magyars. Yeah,
4: they banned they banned yeah, Magyar language, language speaking was imposed. They um, in schools there were no. There were, except in certain small number of areas there there were some there were some uh, Transylvanian schools, there were a few in Croatia had a bit more autonomy than elsewhere, but but the others not at all. It was forced Major, it was for they could see one they could only see one nation and it had to be the Major Nation. That was clear. All the leading spokesmen um spokespeople were saying that sort of thing.
3: Well, we enter into then the 1920s, where there is obviously the Great Depression. They're aided essentially by Nazi Germany and fascist Italy. And that that pushes them to the right. The very thing that they were trying to avoid, this nationalisation and then this nationalism. And so it becomes a fascist country. And eventually they join with the Axis in the Second World War. So what impact does that have on Budapest, both physically and culturally?
4: Well, physically, there was one very big one. The, 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 Hungary were the biggest single losers in the First World War. They they lost roughly 50% of the land and 30% of their population. Um, all those lands I was talking about, the, the Transylvania, Slovakia, Croatia, Northern Serbia, all that was lost in the Treaty of Trianon. Hungary... Was the biggest loser of, of, of from the from the um, First World War. It lost about fifty percent of its territory, thirty percent of its population. It was a huge trauma, the Treaty of Trianon, from which it hasn't really properly recovered. In some ways, um, physically, it had a a big effect on Budapest. First of all because there were three revolutions um, in Budapest within a year. There was a a kind of liberal democratic revolution that lasted a a few months. There was a a Soviet, um, a short lived 300, um, sorry, uh, three month Soviet um, revolution in the the, um, image of Lenin um, that lasted a very short time. And then there was essentially haughty. You can call him a fascist or whatever, but anyway, it was a, it was a military dictatorship and an autocratic regime that lasted for another um, dec- uh, two decades or two and a half decades. Um, physically, one of the, uh, of course, it was a war. It was the war weary um, city, but the main thing was the number of refugees, hundreds of thousands of refugees from these countries. Um Slovakia Croatia, wherever the Marjars from those um countries were dispossessed they'd lost everything um once these new countries were formed and um, they were a sullen a sullen mass they were a lot of them were living in all the railway stations, basically refugee centres. there was a huge camp just outside um uh outside on on this outskirts of Budapest. um and at one point. One of the biggest traumas of all, Hungary had been occupied by Romanian troops and some some Czech troops for a, for a short period and had had caused mayhem. <clears throat> so, of course, for this trauma, they were looking they were looking for someone to some, someone to blame. The obvious um, the obvious kind of whether you know was the Soviet regime that had launched this Red Terror. For three months, that uh, killed you know, scores of thousands of people, and then the White Terror, terror um, descended on you know, descended on Budapest. Thousands of people have been socialist or or even vaguely left leaning or trade unionists had had been um, had been arrested and, um, you know, and and killed, and the obvious candidate for blame were um, Jews. Over twenty-five percent of Budapest's um, population was Jewish. It was a very, very large and a very successful. They were probably amongst the most um, that assimilated significantly into you know into into Hungarian culture. A lot of businesses were owned. Half the doctors, half the lawyers were Jews. It was it was a very significant size of the population. The first anti-Jewish popula- um, legislation between the wars was started by Horty in 1920. Um, bef- at that point, Hitler was still talking to groups of disaffected, small groups of disaffected Germans in Munich beer halls. So that, um, but it was it was Horty and the Hungarians that, that did the first... Um, anti-Jewish legislation, and then, the, then when Hitler came in, Hitler promised the Hungarians that, he, that if he won the war, he would restore all these lost lands. And that became, regaining the lost lands became the most important um, demand and most important aspiration. All the politics in Hungary was only about regaining the, um, regaining the territories. That have been lost under Trilman.
3: I think it's it's one of those things that people probably don't appreciate yeah. the impact that that decision by Haughty has on our world. Because one of the families that were forced to flee, one of the Jewish families, was Edward Teller's family. Yeah, um, and Teller became the architect of essentially modern nuclear weapons. Yeah, moved over to America, and so
4: mm. as indeed a huge number did.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so the, there was there was when you talk about sort of the history of. Um, a sort of Cold War politics in America and a Cold War science, you have what's called the Martians, which were this group of predominantly Hungarian scientists who moved over. Um, But uh, let's focus on on the city because obviously we have Hungary entering the war and in March 1944, the Axis Mm -hmm. powers actually occupy Hungary because the government seeks a peace settlement from the Allies. So what happens to Budapest and how does it become part of the Axis front line,
4: essentially? Well, yeah, uh, that that uh, Horty eventually could see the way things were going. This was, and and did try. Um, Where he did, it was way too late by then, of course. But um, he did, and it was very. When the Germans came in, it was almost. It was very. They were very enthusiastically welcomed. The Hungarian army did. The Hungarian army did absolutely nothing. Um, They just. They just. They just welcomed them. From then, of course, it wasn't that long after the German occupation, just it was only a matter of a few a few months that the that the, the the Red Army was you know, I mean sure to it was sure to win and occupy most of Eastern Europe. It was only a question of time by then. Um, and Budapest was in their way. It was the longest siege. Um of any capital city in the second world War, there were longer sieges but, but of any capital Berlin was probably bloodier um but the siege of Budapest uh lasted three months um all the bridges of Budapest were destroyed that, that all that 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 view it looked it was large, large parts of the central of the center of the city were um were were destroyed it was it was hand-to-hand fighting in the town when in the city went on for both sides of the city went on for 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 weeks there was no water supply it was it was um the the description of life in Budapest in those in those three months were um were harrowing um and by the end the um Horty had been arrested by the Germans and taken into um house you know, house arrest, taken into uh custody. And they the Germans um approved a, a homegrown fascist um government under uh, an organization called the Arrow Cross, which were you know even crueler than the SS, if you can you know imagine it. And they were literally executing um, Jews on the banks of the, of the Danube, uh, which was uh, an extraordinary process. Nobody in Budapest could say they didn't knew, know what was happening to the Jews because they could see it in their streets almost every every, every day.
3: And that sort of more or less wraps up the Second World War. But we haven't even got onto the Iron Curtain. We haven't got on to the Cold War and the fact that it was a, a city sort of at the, at the forefront of that with spy things going on. Uh, we haven't got the current cultural influences today. So if you want to know more about that, uh, you can read Victor's book. Victor, tell us where, where people can find it. It's out now. What's the
4: name of the book? It's called Budapest Between East and West at all good bookshop
2: brilliant victor thank you so much for coming on to talk to us it was a pleasure
4: good 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 good.
3: when our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts so to this end we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org